the amount of Christians in the country that we're going to has significantly increased in the last five years, but there's there's still a lot of work to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah I would say there's there's definitely a a vibe and a feeling that the history is it's there. You can't ignore it. You know the people that are nationals there um, that they don't follow Christianity. They have to see it, you know, everywhere they go. And so I feel like it's a powerful thing. Everything that Jose said in that, too, I would just say that it allows us to make a connection with where they're living and who we believe is still alive. Our goal is simple, to plant churches among the unreached. We are going to an area of the world where there is little to no Christian presence, very few churches, and limited access to the gospel of Jesus. We want to change that. We long to see a church planting movement established among the people groups in this region to watch them thrive through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hi, and welcome to today's Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Pleasure, friend, to have you join us. Our guests today are going to share their journey preparing to go to Central Asia. We have Jose and Natasha. We're thankful that they had time to come by. They, they have a, a wonderful grandparent, <laughs> a mom, mm-hmm. that has agreed to watch two of the children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've got one of the babies up here at the studio Diana is being gracious to watch this million-dollar smile. This little boy has an incredible (laughs) smile. So she has the privilege of watching him while we visit with Jose and Natasha. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start things off right. How did you two meet? We met in college through a mutual friend of ours. I went down to Houston where she lived, and we met, and it was kind of more of a friendship. She's five years younger than me. There wasn't a lot of romantic attraction there at first because of the age difference. But as we got to know each other, it became friends. It just became pretty apparent that she was who I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. Yep. That's the correct story. (laughs) (laughs) And for you, Natasha, you were five years younger. Yeah. So did you think this older guy would have interest in you? I I didn't think a thing about it until we started getting to know each other, like you said. And and eventually I went to the college just, uh, I guess, not even a year later. And we started dating, and then it was two years later that we were married. What were some of the common interests that you shared? Um, ironically, um, we had a really lo- like a, a global vision. We had a, a greater vision for what we feel like matters in life instead of maybe what the typical high school girl was doing. I was in my youth group, and I was involved in church and um, had a passion for those sorts of things. And so he was at Bible school, and... And I think we found common ground in talking about the Bible and kind of what the Lord had for our lives. So, And so, Jose, for you, where did your journey with Christ begin? So I was raised in the church through about fourth or fifth grade, stopped going. I actually had a friend who lived down the street from me. I was uh, hanging out outside with another friend, and he came up and said, hey, my church is doing this Easter special. It's a four-week series. You should come and watch. And so I convinced my mom to go. And so we went that next Sunday and just really felt like this is something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. was like, you know, this is cool. And then that next Sunday, it was just like God wrecked me. And I've been following Jesus ever since. Love that. And Natasha, for you, did you grow up in a home that talked about Jesus? Yes. Yeah, I grew up in a church-going family, but really, I think, found my own faith in high school, middle school, high school era. And yeah, really, I think, dedicated my life to the Lord. Uh, was mentored by my youth pastors and yeah, just growing with the Lord ever since. Did the idea of 
world missions, was that something that you both were attracted to before you met each other? Yeah, so I went to a small, well, we both went to a small Bible college, and I went expecting to be a youth pastor. I went to missions trips in youth group. I went to missions trips after I graduated high school. My grandmother told me that I would be a missionary, and I kept telling her, no, I'm going to be a youth pastor. (laughs) Um, Little did I know. And then it was actually at the school that God really started my heart for missions. Yeah, I had a um, the idea, this preconceived notion in that youth group that I talked about that missions was, A, it was like, you know, living in the bush of Africa and um, not having access to water and that sort of thing. And then therefore, you know, B, I had the idea that it was unattainable, that it was for the, the elite, those who were greater faith, you know. And so I had a, an admiration for missions and I knew the importance of it, but I didn't think it was something that I could do. Yeah, so. yeah. I, when our family, I, of course, we've shared this with you guys that our family, my wife and I, were feeling led to go and serve with a, a mission group. And my wife used to say, "I'll go anywhere in the world. You just don't want to go to Africa." You know, there's something mm-hmm. about that. And and I remember one of the uh, families in our class back in church here said, "I mean, you don't have dirt floors where you live, you know." <laughs> and so, I mean, we, we had house and electricity and refrigerator and you know, mm-hmm. internet and yeah. all those things. Right. Then. We live in a different world today. And I'm not saying there's not places in the world that you can't go and have to live without electricity or without some of those things that we call conveniences. Maybe it's people who are not having them might be more blessed, right, Jose? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get wrapped up in those things so quickly. Well, you're going to an area where much of the early church started. How does that make you feel? There is a lot of history. And so about two months ago, we were there. And I remember walking through the ruins of a church and thinking of all of the past saints that worshipped in that church and the prayers that they prayed and how God is going to continue to answer those prayers. And the idea of being able to be the fulfillment of prayers from saints centuries ago Mm -hmm. is humbling. Mm -hmm. And it's also galvanizing. It motivates us that we're not the first Christians in the Mm -hmm. country. There's Even now there's missionaries working among the people the amount of Christians in the country that we're going to is significantly increased in the last five years, but there's there's still a lot of work to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah I would say there's there's definitely a a vibe and a feeling that the history is it's there. You can't ignore it. You know, the people that are nationals there um, that they don't follow Christianity. They have to see it, you know, everywhere they go. And so I feel like it's a powerful thing. I, everything that Jose said in that, too, I would just say that it allows us to make a connection with where they're living and who we believe is still alive. Central Asia, of course, is the area you believe God is calling you to. This area stretches from the Capscan Sea to west in China, Mongolia in the east, and from Afghanistan, Iran in the south to Russia in the north, including several former Soviet republics. I mean, this is a vast area. Mm-hmm. We cannot get specific on the program for obvious reasons. But out of all the places in the world, even right here in the United States, why Central Asia? Yeah. You know, ironically, there's nothing specific that said this is where we always wanted to go. There wasn't any sort of moment where we just said, we looked at each other and decided that that is where we wanted to reach, except for the fact that um, it came out at us. I would say Jose probably knows this story better. Yeah, so we attended a denominational church that had a weekly magazine that they delivered to all the churches. 
every month there was a um, there was like a mission special on one of those weeks and. This particular week, we're just walking out of the church, and they're right there. And usually, I just kind of walk on by. Um, this time, I kind of looked up and saw this picture of mountains, and it was a uh, greenery, and it was super pretty. And I'm like, you know what? This looks interesting. So, mm-hmm. so I picked it up, and I read through this article. It didn't tell me where it was, but I could just feel the Holy Spirit speaking, like, "This is where you need to go." I didn't really think much of it. So I was also on a student missions board at my university. And the very next day, uh, we are meeting to discuss the countries that we're going to send short-term missions trips to. And the area of the world was, the article called it a specific title. And on the board was that exact title. And so I'm like, hey, I want that trip. And uh, I remember my leader, my student leader was like, you know, you're on the board. You can't lead trips. We don't, you know, that's never really been done before. And I'm like, well, I, you know, I quit. I'm, like, I'm, 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 I'm going on this thing. And so we, we ended up working it out. I didn't have to quit. Um, so I led a short-term trip there. And it was it, it was there that God began to really stir my heart. And while I was there, uh, Natasha was yeah. praying for me. And Yeah. So we were engaged to be married just, um, I guess, a month later once he got to the location. And so I was spending my time praying. And as I was praying, God was giving me a heart for the people and for where he was. Um, and so it was sort of just like a, a, a step-by-step domino effect. He went and got a vision, um, you know, got to see it, feel it, smell it, breathe it in, came back. And then as a married couple, the very next summer, we went back and both fell in love again with these people. So you didn't have any initial right. reservations. No. There was nothing like, I'm not sure that's where I want to go. Not at all. No, no. Yeah. At that point, we knew that we were going to spend the rest of our lives, whether it be here in the States, giving or praying, or going. We knew we were going to spend the rest of our lives reaching people who had no access to the gospel. What are your biggest concerns about moving into a culture so different than what you're accustomed to? Yeah, honestly, for us, there's not a lot of concern. We believe that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. If we have a concern, well, not if, there is a concern for kids' adjustment, Mm -hmm. for making sure that we are taking care of our family and that our family still comes first, even in the midst of like all of the lostness and despair that we have there, that we are making sure that our kids are taken care of, that they're emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, physically healthy, and making sure that they transition as yeah, well. I don't absolutely. know if you want to add mm-hmm. it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Just making sure that they feel supported in the season of transition because they are workers too, in a way. So. Yes. And sometimes our kids can be the most effective mm. in, in reaching the neighborhood we live in when they play with the kids, you know, mm-hmm. and open up opportunities to bring you into the homes of these other families. We've seen that in our life in the past, too. And mm. so it's really neat to see how kids really engage yeah. and take on the call, too. And mm-hmm. it becomes real to them, which is really exciting yeah. how we see the gospel work in the lives of our children now, you've traveled, as you mentioned, to this region where you'll be serving and living. You've alluded to some, but what were your initial observations, some of the things that stood out to you, some of the sense the smell, when you walked through the streets or you met the people? Yeah, so it's really crowded. It's uh, really dense. There's a lot of cigarette smoke. But honestly, when I, when I first thought of Central Asia, I thought camels and sand. And just the whole region uh, from west to east and north to south is just full of like tall mountains and like luscious greenery and Mm. lakes and rivers and streams. And 
like all of this beautiful scenery and like the majesty of God all around. And uh, that was honestly kind of the first thing that struck me uh, was how different it looked. And then as I got to know the people, just the hospitality that we experienced, how friendly they were. There wasn't a single person who didn't invite us in for tea. There's a there's a picture that's hanging on my wall that someone took. It was me and like four other people going into the village. And we're, we, we were the first like foreigners to ever go into this village, according to the people in the village. And as far as they knew, and just ev- everyone was like clamoring to get us in their house. And mm-hmm. like, you know, they like they wanted tea. They, they wanted to hear stories. They like they wanted to know why we were there. And it was just this great opportunity to share the gospel. And they are uh, so hospitable. Yeah, they are. I'd say. Um, everything they're just that he just said is just so accurate. They are the most hospitable culture, one of the most hospitable cultures I've ever come encounter with. But additionally, they love kids. They adore kids. They have a um, admiration and just a love for babies. And they will take your baby and snuggle it and give it right back. But uh, they think they're just God's gift to the world. So, did you guys have any prior training to when it comes to sharing the gospel? In this particular culture, the do's and the do nots. You just said that they ask you why are you there, which opened up the door for you to freely share. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you taught things that you should not do or you should say prior to going? Yeah, so part of part of the student missions board that I was a part of in my in my undergrad, it was led by a veteran missionary. He had this whole program designed to help us know what to say, what we can't say, what to do, what not, what, what not to do. And so on, so on, on the short-term trip level, uh, there was probably even more preparation than what was actually needed. On the long-term level, when we went, uh, there's a lot of on-the-job training. Um, and so there's a lot of, uh, these are books that we think you should read, uh, but it's so language-focused in those first two years. You really have to learn the language. And my missionary mentor was telling a story of a time when someone that he was leading was beginning to grumble and complain about not doing any church planning. And uh, his response was like, when we can have this conversation in the language of the people, then we could start church planning. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Trying to connect with them on their level. The heart language is so powerful. Okay, so I don't know if you can speak into specifically what your job detail would be. I don't think you can be public church planners. Hey, we're here to plant a church for Jesus Christ. Is that correct? I mean, you can't do that. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, we can't. I mean, that's not going to be in our favor for the future. But yeah, I think um, we can definitely shed some light here. Um, Our main goal is to learn the language, as he said. And once we can fluently communicate the gospel in their local language, then we will be doing a lot of um, tourist blogging, um, taking pictures and doing some writing and social media work um, because the area is flocked with tourists. It's a great way to connect with the locals as well as being able to share our faith. So, so will the people be curious, the, the national people there, will they be curious, uh, Jose? You already mentioned they ask you, why are you here? But is your living there? I mean, is your living, is there neighbors Wondering, you know, what do you do for a living? Yeah, so this is this this is what missionaries call, and I think you probably experience this when you're in the field too, like the missionary gray area, where you tell just enough truth that it's not a lie, but not enough truth that it gets you in trouble. So that's something that we're trying to to to, to figure out now. So there's a lot of different philosophies. Um, my who I who I would consider by my missionary mentor, he's very open. 
And so he will stand in the in the uh, immigration line and they'll ask him, why are you here? And he'll say, I'm a missionary here to spread the gospel. We are not in the position to do that. Um, he brings a lot of value to the country. He employs a lot of local people. And so, like, for us, it's more of uh, being able to legitimately say that we are here for a purpose, whether that be a business or a blog or travel or whatever the case is, and that be a legitimate business that brings value to the people in the country, while also making the spread of the gospel our, like still our number one priority. Yeah, yeah. Jose, that recent trip that you made to the region, anybody stand out to you that you met? Maybe God used, you connected with in a special way, uh, help bring you closer connecting with the people. Yeah, so like we actually brought our kids on well on on a what they call the vision trip. Um, so uh, essentially, the vision trip is when you go and you meet different teams, you choose which team you are going to join. And so we learned while we're there that most people don't bring their kids. We do life with our kids, and so we brought them without even thinking about it, and that opens up a lot of doors. There were several instances, particularly in one city. Uh, where we were at the beach and our kids were playing and I was able to strike up a conversation with someone uh, looking just, you know, they're just kind of watching our kids and like they they have kids probably somewhere. And I just make a lot of the language that so was very elementary, probably very basic, but it was just a gentle, a gentle reminder to me that the everyday moments in life provide a lot of opportunity for connection um, and bridging those moments from from, hey, look at our kids having fun to, hey, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ is something that we have to get better at. And uh, it's, 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 it's something that we're actively trying to improve on. I think that's a great reminder, Jose, not just as a missionary planning on moving to the other side of the world or going to Central Asia region. That's a great reminder for us as believers today listening to the show as we are out with our families, as we're doing life, I think that's really what the mandate of the Great Commission is, as you're going. talks about making disciples of all nations, not as you have to go to another nation to do so. We need people like yourself doing that. We need more people who are going to see that the fields are ripe unto harvest. Mm-hmm. But we also need to be in the mindset as Christ followers, this is our life. This is who we are. Gospel people, mm-hmm. and 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 look for those opportunities in everyday life. Amen. Yeah, every, everyday gospel people is the phrase that comes to mind when you say yeah. that. I think it's so important that we have you guys on because mm-hmm. we need to be reminded that God has a mandate to take the gospel to all nations, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to plan like our guest today and to go to another place in the world, but. It does mean you shouldn't use that as an excuse, okay? Mm. I think we have to be led by God, and it's a Holy Spirit-driven and led work getting the gospel out. And this is really what I said in the opening of our program today, that you want to establish among people groups in the region that you're going to serve in Central Asia and watch them thrive through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so... Like, we are going to an area of the world that doesn't necessarily need clean water. They don't need our hospitality. They don't need us to go and dig wells. And there's really, I don't want to diminish that work. That's that's really important work around the world. 
there are people whose lives are literally being being saved because missionaries go and do that. A particular challenge of the area that we're going to is that because they don't need that, there's not that open door to automatically elevate us to the status of someone who's important to them. And so because of that, we are almost forced to preach the gospel in weakness and to rely on the Holy Spirit to stir hearts, to direct Mm -hmm. us, to move us, and to move their hearts and to open their hearts to what God has for them. Natasha, would you mind explaining what the gospel means to you personally and why it's so important to carry that message to other nations around the world? Yeah, I mean, to me, the gospel is the good news concerning Christ for our lives, that he lived a sinless life, that he died for me. Um, And because of that, there's nothing that I could do to earn salvation. There's nothing I could do to lose salvation in him because of him. And so um, that is the gospel to me. And And to take that to them is to say that they are living in a faith that demands their good behavior. It demands their goodness. And we are coming to a Savior that did all of that for us. And so in Him, I get to say, you don't have to earn it. There's nothing that you can do. Yes. Um, so it's it's powerful. It's freedom. But, of course, we rely on Him to open their hearts so that they can receive that. It's a gospel done instead of a mm-hmm. gospel do, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's interesting, those two words, you got to do and a done. And I like the last two letters of the word done. Mm-hmm. Any, nothing extra. There's <laughs> nothing extra we can do because it's done at yes. the cross. Christ did it for us. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that's the message you want to share. That's the message that we're all called to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, you know, while there's, while, while there's need here locally, um, we've heard it said by some people that, uh, no one should hear the gospel uh, twice when some people haven't heard it once. And for, for us, that's not necessarily true. Uh, very few people come to gospel knowledge after after just one presentation of the gospel. But the very fact that there are people around the world who have never heard the gospel once and they have no access to hear it is just tragic beyond belief. And, mm. you know, and so our our life's goal is to change that. How do you guys finance this call? You've got to have people praying for you, obviously. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I know you've got a sending church, Mm -hmm. which is very important. I'm sure your home church is going to be behind you and helping support financially. But it's a a team that works together in sharing the gospel. In Jesus' ministry, there were those women and other disciples that helped provide Mm -hmm. in financial ways to fuel the work that was done during his earthly ministry. Mm -hmm. And similarly, you guys are going to depend on a team of people that are believing God with you to take the gospel to this area. So how do you do this? Yeah, so we are currently uh, raising a monthly budget, and so we will live off that budget. And so we are relying on people to say, I will sacrificially give X dollar amount into our monthly budget, and we will live off of that so that we can have the freedom to um, share and to to work. in a way that is only possible through gifts. Um, so we have one-time gifts, but but mostly, yeah, we are looking to raise up monthly supporters. So those listening to the program right now, Jose, that would like to learn more about your efforts in Central Asia and how they could possibly partner with you through prayer, because you have, I know you have a newsletter, to also financially give, what should they do? So both things for both giving and uh, connecting to us through our newsletter can be found on our website. 
uh, centralasianomads.com centralasianomads.com and there's a link to give there's a link to uh, sign up for our newsletter which we'll very soon be sending out monthly just to stay connected there's a way to email us um, and so there is a lot that we need from people and that's kind of the uh, the work of the missionary is to uh, like, like express that need boldly and we can't do what we need to do without other people so well, this has been great. Uh, we're going to have to have you come back. There's more that I want to talk about, but I really wanted to introduce you to our listening audience so they could know how God is leading you on this journey to Central Asia. Yeah, This is for the gospel, friends, and I want you to prayerfully consider how you can be a partner with my friends, Jose and Natasha, as they travel to Central Asia with their family. It's a journey, and they need your prayers. They need your financial support. So this is the mission of the gospel. And so we encourage you to learn more. Get that website again, if you would, Jose. CentralAsianomads.com. Are you also available if somebody wanted you to come speak to their Sunday school class or absolutely. a small group of Bible study? Could you do that? Yes, absolutely. We would love that. We'd yeah. love to share. Yeah, for sure. And is that same contact through that website, or email there that they can get in touch with you? Yep. Yep. There's a there's a contact us link at the, at the, at the top with, with an email, but it's also just centralasianomads at gmail.com. Natasha, Jose, God bless you, my friends. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you. Thank you for what you both are doing for the kingdom of God, sharing the gospel to Central Asia. And we thank you. And I'm looking forward to building this relationship here so our friends get to know you. So when you come back for furlough time to visit family, to give testimony, that we can share the great things that God is doing to plant churches and to see people come to know Christ in Central Asia. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. And when the nutrients that God makes are depleted from your body, you will die. And I have no idea how long that's going to be. I have a tendency to overwork myself because I want to prove I'm worthy of people's love and attention. That's definitely a trap that I'm struggling with. The cutest little carousels with... Um, Swimming well, fish? Well, no, they're the... Seahorses. <laughs> Seahorses! Seahorses! <laughs> Think yes. of that, it just left my mind. So what I had in my living room over this series of meetings were highly functioning within the church culture biblical illiterates. So critical race theory is a a way to destroy this country, destroy the family, and destroy the church. Mid-South Viewpoint is people telling God-sized stories from all walks of life. Listen Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 3 p.m. on AM640 or anytime with the Bot Radio Network mobile app or on Spotify and iTunes podcast.